What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Janella Show. I'm your host, Mike, obviously. This is my 84th podcast episode. Hopefully, it won't be my last. And today, NFL season is back. It's kicking off this week, and I dialed up my uh, old buddy, Mike Rothstein, he covers the Detroit Lions. He's an ESPN staff writer for their NFL Nation uh, brand. And the Lions are kicking off Monday Night Football against the Jets in a few days. And I talked to Mike about everything, what a typical week is like for an NFL beat writer, the, the Monday through Sunday grind. This guy's up at 5.30 in the morning every day to, to live his life during football season. It's crazy. I'm uh, going to talk about how sports writing has changed in the 15 years since he got into the business. We're going to go through a Lions lightning round, their record this year, all kinds of stuff like that. Best case, worst case scenario. And then, of course, we end with our fun five, including what the next Detroit sports team to win a title will be. Guys, while I have you, make sure to check me out at Mike Janella across all social media. If you're coming here new from following Mike Rothstein on his social media, subscribe to the podcast, download previous episodes. We have 83 of them. And also throw a like or a review uh, on one of the review directories, whatever they're called. I don't know. Anyway, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places. And we had a long chat with Mike. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Here is... Mike Rothstein. Cuse is in the house. Mike, what's up, dude? Hey, man. How's it going? It's been a while. Yeah, it really has. Uh, I'm just glad I got to you before the season kicks off, although you've already been cracking at, at training camp for, for a month now in the summer. But I, I knew it was like NFL time. I had to talk to, to my guy doing something now with everything about to kick off officially. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem, man. Glad to be here. Glad to do it. I, I feel like I'm probably your your least famous guest. Uh, trust me, I've had high school friends. <laughs> I've had old college roommates. Uh, you you rank up there. You're definitely in the top uh, end of the percentiles for sure. Um, we're gonna oh, talk well, about that, that's not good for anybody involved. <laughs> Maybe I got to work on my booking better. But no, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about, man. We're gonna talk uh, your life as an NFL reporter working for ESPN. We're gonna do some some Lions predictions, a whole bunch of stuff. But, Mike, the one thing that I do with every guest, because I like starting off our chats on a good foot, so I want to get in a nice positive mindset. And I ask everybody, so I'm going to ask you now, what's the best thing to happen to you this past week? The best thing that happened to me this past week? Oh, man, I mean, it's a football week, so my life gets pretty stale and boring uh, and, and pretty regimented. But I'd say the best thing that happened to me this week, so... And you and I were talking about this earlier today a little bit before we did this podcast. So I have my first ESPN the Magazine piece run on – it's in this issue, the NFL preview issue with Odell Beckham on the cover. Coincidentally, it has nothing to do with football, which is kind of funny to me because I've been covering college or pro football for the past decade plus now. But it's a boxing story actually that ended up in ESPN the Magazine. And it's something that honestly is pretty much – a a career goal of mine at some point, you get in a magazine, whether that was ESPN, the magazine or sports illustrated back when I was in college. And to be able to say that I did that is something that I think by far is the best thing that happened to me this week, probably personally or professionally. And that's maybe more on that. It was Labor Day weekend and I had to work through most of it as most NFL reporters tend to do because it's cut down weekend. So while all of my friends went to weddings and went to other things all around the country, I, pretty much because I had no wedding to go to this weekend, uh, stayed in Ann Arbor, and most of my friends were out of the town, so it was a pretty low-key weekend. 
but that might have also been the best part of my week too because it was time to sleep a little bit which i'm sure is a currency in high demand among your kind this time of year uh, no man it's a great story and uh, guys check it out if you go to um, mike's twitter which is mike rothstein uh you linked it earlier this week and i read it in prepping for this and i mean the the depth you put into this man the reporting <laughs> And, and that guy, uh, what's his name? Coach Sweeney, I think, was the dude who kind of runs the yeah, whole boxing gym, right? Sweeney. Oh, my gosh. Like, some of the details you got, how he, what, he lost, like, 78 pounds or something, all the stress of running this gym and helping these kids out and things like that. It was an awesome story. So I highly recommend anybody, uh, if you got the time, to give it a read. Cause, uh, and congratulations, dude. That's awesome, by the way. Finally making ESPN the magazine. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I mean, I've had little things in there before, but this was, like, first actual story right. that was in there. And, uh, and this thing took... I, I spent hours upon hours at this gym. I think I spent two total days at the gym, and I was on the phone with a bunch of people for for I don't even know how many hours uh, of reporting I ended up putting into this. And, yeah, it's a story that I hope people read, and I hope people can get a sense of kind of what it's like, not only in Detroit, but what it's like for kids growing up in Detroit right now. Detroit's school system has been ranked in the United States among the worst in the country last three years in the story you see the dropout rates versus the graduation rates and this program every kid that's made its senior made it through the program to their senior year of high school has graduated high school since 2007 when the program started and in detroit that's no small thing and it was actually one of the first things that really attracted me to the story and to this piece and i'm just really grateful my editors at ESPN. Also bought into it, and then after the first time I went down there, they saw what it could be, uh, both online and in the magazine. We had a photographer go down, and and her name's Rachel Wolf, and her photographer, her photographs, other were really amazing, and and I thought they knew better than the piece itself, um, which you know I, she she's a fantastic photographer, and. I'm just really happy with how it turned out, and uh, I'm just hoping that you know maybe more people can can read it and, and kind of get a feel for what this is like because I think a lot of times these things and, and these types of programs don't get as much attention as they should, uh, and the fact that I was able to kind of shine a light there a little bit and and kind of show a program that's doing some pretty amazing work in the city of Detroit was was I, I was pretty happy with the way it all turned out is the easiest way to put it. No, and kudos. Uh, also, I just realized as I was looking up your Twitter handle that I thought I'd been following you this whole time, and I haven't been. So you just no, got, man, you, you got one extra Twitter follower. I was wondering, I'm like, how come I never see your stuff in my timeline now, especially during training camp? And then I realized that I haven't been following you at all. So you now have 22.2 and 1,000 followers. Um, my bad, man. But now I'm on the bandwagon. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. You know, every follower counts. Every follower matters. That's a, that's the saying, right? Every vote counts. So we'll go with every follower. Every counts. follower counts. <laughs> Damn straight. Um, sweet, dude. So let's get to the uh, the quote-unquote day job. Um, and I think social media is a cool place to start because uh, obviously you're covering the Lions and you're de facto beat writer, right? But that's changed so much uh, from what that used to mean, even from when you and I kind of got into the business after school. Um, what's a typical day, week like in your life? How much are you on social media? How much does that affect your writing? Well, when do you, uh, just give me like a Monday through Sunday of a typical NFL week and, and what it's like being a beat writer nowadays in 2018. Yeah. Oh, it's totally different than what was. So I, I started really my first true, like 
this is my almost all my responsibility beat in 2005 when I covered Notre Dame. Before that, I had worked in Harrisonburg, Virginia and Victorville, California, and I had beats there that were intensive, but they weren't the kind of 90% or above of what I do. So from when I started in 2005 to now, man, I, it it's changed so much. Consider this. In 2005, maybe I'd post a a story on Facebook, but it would be my personal Facebook page that some people would see. Twitter, if it existed, no one was using it. I don't even think it existed at that point. And my main medium of getting stories out was through either the newspaper or online or the blog that I had started when I was covering Notre Dame. And you look at it now, and I mean, almost everything that I do Yes, what I do on ESPN.com is the Detroit Lions page, and I write for, I cover the, you know, the NFL and Detroit Lions for ESPN. But it's really just a lot of it is blogging because there's not necessarily a newspaper form to to go into it. It's writing, it's but it's it's very it's situated on the page very similar to what you know my blog looks like at some point. So it, it's changed like that as far as just even the layout goes. Uh, but to answer your question, so social media, we'll start there. Yeah, I'm on it probably way more than it should be, way more than I would like to be, for sure. Um, it becomes a, I don't want to say a complaint, but you, you kind of have to be at least in and around it for a while. I have certain people that I get notifications on my phone whenever they tweet something because those are the people I compete against or those are some national writers. And if I'm sitting at my laptop, generally Twitter is up. I've gotten better at managing my time a bit more where I'm not on Twitter all the time, which I was at one point a few years ago. And I'm not on Facebook all the time, which I was at one point a few years ago. And I really tried to pull back a little bit, but it's a large part of the job uh, because players will break news on there. Players will say things on there and then I have to write about it. Same thing with Instagram, although I, I happen to like Instagram most of all of the mediums because I think it is the happiest of all mediums and it's more pictures versus words and people generally post pictures of food or puppies uh, <laughs> or vacations. As you know, I post vacation photos a lot and, and pictures from travels uh, and books, uh, a lot of books and book recommendations. But uh, So I like Instagram probably the most, but I use Instagram, I would say, the least in terms of, you know, promoting the product, inter interacting and engaging with fans. I, I use Twitter and then probably Facebook for that, just being off of my followings. Uh, I was following on Twitter and then uh, Instagram and Facebook are kind of uh, at the same point right now. So, by the way, I'll, I'll clearly plug myself right now. If you want to follow me on anything, I'm at Mike Rothstein on Twitter. That's M-I-K-E-R-O-T-H-S-T-E-I-N. The same handle on Instagram and on Facebook. I am at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Uh, and anyway, that that I feel really weird about promoting myself no, in that see, way. you're a natural we'll at get... this. That's what it's all about is just self-promotion. That's the only reason social uh, media exists. Yeah. No, oh, I know. I know. I mean, it, yeah. Well, I'm just going to leave that there. But my, my general week is this. Uh, so... We'll take a game week. Uh, obviously, the lines open up on Monday night this week. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll skip forward to what maybe next week would look like or a typical week because this next week wouldn't be a typical week. Either. But generally, Sunday is a game, so I'm at the game. I'm 
watching the game. I'm watching for things, watching the sidelines, watching the crowd sometimes, obviously watching what's going on, trying to find a story or a couple of stories through that. Then I'm usually writing right after the game. I go down to the locker room. I interview players. I interview coaches. Uh, I'm trying to find stuff that, that no one else is going to have or an angle that is different than, than what my competition is going to have. Uh, usually I'll write that Sunday night for Monday morning uh, or for Sunday night sometimes, depending on what it is. Uh, then Monday morning I will generally watch or skim through at least – the game from Sunday just to see what I missed, see if there were certain plays I should have focused on, just kind of get a feel for maybe how they played that maybe I missed some stuff live that I can catch on a second viewing. If I know I'm going to write about somebody that week, I will maybe focus on that player and just kind of take notes uh, and maybe write something off of it. Maybe not depending on what I see. And if there's something of value there to write about, uh, Usually the head coach will talk on Monday at some point. Sometimes players will speak uh, and sometimes not. And then Tuesday is the players day off. Sometimes that will mean to a charity event that they're doing. If I'm writing about a player, other times it will be a day of writing, making phone calls for me. Then Wednesday starts typical NFL week. Typically the quarterback, Matthew Stafford, talks that week. Or that day, locker room's open, you watch 20 minutes of practice, which is akin to stretching. You don't really get much. Basically, it's just taking attendance and making sure nobody gets hurt in that 20-minute period. You're basically babysitting. And Thursday and Friday, minus the quarterback, are the same things. And then Saturday is usually an off day or a travel day. Uh, personally, I like to generally travel early in the morning because I like to make sure I'm there. Plus, it gives me a day in that city. Most cities, I know a few people who are there, so it gives me a chance to see them. Sometimes I'll fly out on Friday night. Uh, like when they go to the Lions, go to San Francisco in week two, I'm flying in on Friday because I have some friends in San Francisco I haven't seen in a while and I'd like the chance to get to see them. So it, that's basically the, without boring your audience too much, what my general week is like and how it's structured. And, you know, I find there generally I'm in the gym no later than 6 a.m. because I feel pretty confident and by saying this I know it's going to happen now in the next couple weeks that news doesn't break between 6 and 7 30 in the morning so (laughs) that's kind of like you know that's oh I totally did but no to be fair that happened yesterday so I I'm I, I feel like I'm okay with 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 saying that so, yeah, that, that's my time. Like, I will throw my headphones in. I go to the local Y, and I have a trainer that I work with remotely, and we just kind of, I just kind of go through the program that he gives me, and I don't really talk to anybody. I'm probably the world's worst, like, gym person because I'm not super friendly. I just kind of zone out and go from one – exercise for the next no, and try don't to apologize for that because i i hate those people that are at the gym to socialize like i'm there to get my work in and i'm not there to chat between sets and stuff and talk for five ten minutes i those people i can't stand i prefer your type of gym person because that's the kind of person i am over oh yeah that are there to I, socialize. Mean, I, I will talk with some people like if i like there are a couple of friends of mine uh that go to my gym so if i see them i'll definitely say hi and we'll chat for a little bit but, no, if I'm there, I'm there to work and work hard. And then 
I get out and generally my day starts at that point and I'm going however late I need to go. Uh, and sometimes I'll take a few hours off and then have to make phone calls at night because I'm talking to the parents of a player or I'm talking to somebody who can't talk till eight or nine at night. It's a job now, going back to the question of how it changed from you know, 2003, 2004, 2005 to now, you're on. You basically have to be, quote unquote, on much more now than you did in the past. Because mm-hmm. in the past, news cycles, it seemed like, went longer. Where now, the news cycle's so fast. And you also, you never know when somebody's going to want to talk or be willing to talk. Like, I did an interview last month. Legitimately, I went to the gym at 5.30. I got home at 6.30 in the morning. And the guy who I was talking to wanted, was like, can you talk? How early can you talk? And I was like, well, I'll be at 5.30 in the gym. I could probably talk by 6.30, 6.45. And he's like, all right, fine. So Jeez. we talked at like I, – I did an interview at 6.40 in the morning. So I, that, that's the early and – he, and it's not like he was in Europe or – you know, in Australia or something like that, he was in New Jersey. So <laughs> that, and I'm in Michigan. So it's same time zone, but you know, things like that happen. There are times where I'll talk to somebody at 10 45, 11 at night because they're on the West coast and that's when they can do stuff. Uh, so you just kind of, if you're looking for the story, you kind of have to be very flexible in when you can talk and it, you know, you kind of weigh, well, how important is it for me to talk to this person versus my own schedule? And if it's important for me to talk to that person, then I'm going to make the time for it. And it becomes a priority. So it's a very interesting life to lead. And, and one where schedules sometimes mean absolutely nothing. I, I have a friend of mine in town who's also a journalist. We have legitimately made plans for the last three weeks. And every single time we have made plans, one of us decides to cancel because something happened job-wise. So that's just kind of the life of the journalist. And you kind of have to, you know, if you're friends with somebody or you're dating somebody uh, or you're married to somebody, I think that they have to be very patient and very understanding. Uh, and I can, can speak to definitely how, how that can affect those things. And, uh, and it's important to find that in, in friends, partners, or, or anything, or even family. That's the difference, right? Everyone says, oh, the Internet has democratized media coverage, but there's a huge gap still between the people who write even consistently, even daily or hourly, but that update just fan blogs from home, their office, whatever, versus people like you who are still doing all this extra stuff. It's kind of the Ph.D. level of of media and journalism because you are still on the road. You are up at 6 a.m. to talk to people. There is still that element of the old school reporter that still lives, even though the Internet's changed pretty much everything else. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I love that part of the job. I love the interviewing people. I, I would say that probably more than the writing and certainly more than the games or anything like that, the reporting, the talking to people, the learning stuff. That's why I got into this, you know, in part because I like to tell stories. And, yeah, I like sports and I, sports have always been a part of my life. I like learning stuff. I've just naturally been inquisitive. I was that annoying kid growing up. Probably some would say I'm still that annoying kid now at 37. <laughs> but I was that annoying kid growing up that always asked more questions. and always wanted to know why and always wanted to know more. So it almost seemed like it fit that this is what I would do at some point. It was something I kind of realized I wanted to do early on in my life. And I think it was because I was always 
wondering. I always, one of the things I always like to say is, and it's cliche as hell, but I always like to say it is I try to learn at least one thing new every day. Now that's one thing. Every, try to learn at least one new thing when I'm in a locker room session. Like, you know, it's a low bar because generally I'll learn more than one new thing and learn, but it's, that's my bar every day is I want to learn at least one thing I didn't know before. And I try, try to take that approach to life too, whether it's a book I'm reading, whether it's articles I'm reading on the internet, whether it's a TV show I'm watching, whether it's a conversation with a friend. Uh, I always want to be able to go to bed every night saying I know I learned at least one new thing today. And that's kind of how I really try to live. And most days I'm successful, but yeah, there are some days where I'm not like, and those are called, I'm just binging on Netflix and staring at a couch. Day. <laughs> we all need those days. It's just mental health uh, to get through, especially a job like yours. That's so taxing mentally, but you're like, you're not the only annoying kid out there, right? That's what a lot of these journalists are. You're, you know, I consider myself the same way. And it's hard because everyone, there are so many talented people doing what you do, right? So how do you, how do you stand out? How do you make sure that you're writing, you're reporting, the things you learn every day, the questions you ask stands out from people that work at, I don't know, the Athletic or the Free Press or, or whatever? How, how do you think that you stand out and how much do you cognizantly think about being unique and different in how you approach the beat? Uh, so the second question first, first I, I think about it all the time. I mean, it, it dominates my thing. You kind of have like, to, right? I, Otherwise, you're just going through yeah. the motions, and then your your writing sucks, and your reporting sucks. I mean, I I could be in bed, or I could be in the shower, or I could be making chicken on on my stove, and if I have an idea that comes in my head, I jot it down, and and I, I have a a file in my in my zip drive that is basically my story list, and. I, send it to my boss every so often. I'm like, what do you like? What do you don't? And then we kind of go from there. But yeah, it, it, it is a constant thought of mine. I, when I'm reading book, sometimes I'll get story ideas. I mean, even when I'm on vacation. So here's a good example. Last year, I'm in Ireland. I'm on a bus trip from Dublin to Galway with a stop at Cliff of Moore. And I'm sitting in the back of the bus it's always been me. I've always been the kid that wants to sit in the back of the bus. Although in my little later years, I found I get bus six and then I have to move to the front of the bus. But in this case, I sat in the back of the bus because it was a bigger bus. So I'm looking around and there's this group of people that I'm by myself. I travel solo most of the time. And there's a group of people sitting behind me and they're speaking English and they're definitely speaking with American accents. And I happen to just engage them in conversation. So we're talking because it's like a two and plus hour drive from Dublin to the Cliffs of Moore and then more to Galway. Well, by the time we get halfway to Cliffs of Moore, I'm in conversation with them. They're from Pittsburgh and they're, they travel, they try to travel as a group once a year. They've been friends for a super long time. And all of a sudden, they start pulling out these Pittsburgh Penguin jerseys. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to fact, file that in the back of my head. And at this point, I haven't told them what I do. I haven't said anything like that. I think I said I was a writer. I, don't, I didn't say where I worked or what I even covered. And all of a sudden, like in the back of my head, I'm like, you know what? This could be an interesting story because here's what they do. They actually go on every vacation they take. They take their Penguin jerseys. They find one or two things that they want to that are monuments or, you know, places of interest 
and they all take out these penguin jerseys and they all put them on for these pictures for the most part and they take pictures all in penguins jerseys in front of in this in this instance the cliffs of more mm. or you know in other places they had um, big ben i think they had they had pictures from a whole the coliseum sometimes it would be two of them sometimes it would be eight or nine of them and they all were diehard penguins fans some of them were season ticket holders but this is what they did on their vacations was they traveled around and took they made sure that this was part of their vacation and their ringleader actually will send reminders and it's the first thing he packs when he packs is his penguins jersey so in the back of my head i'm like this is actually just super interesting but also i think relatable to a lot of fans across the world not only the united states but across the world because think about chelsea fans or you know spurs fans or juventus fans when they travel like they're generally wearing kits they're wearing, they're wearing jerseys or they're wearing something about their team and you see that with college football all the time so like this is something i think that a lot of fans can relate to so i'm just like hey listen so i write for espn can I get your contact info? I'm not promising anything, but I'm kind of really interested about this and I want to pitch it to my editors. So I get back from Europe and I talk to my editors and they really, they're like, that's actually super interesting because they had been like 10 or so, 12 or so places where they'd done this. And so I ended up talking to a few of them on the phone that I had met on that trip. And I wrote about this group of Penguins fans that travel around the world with Penguins jerseys. And we had a whole bunch of pictures and a couple of those pictures that actually apparently there's a mosaic at where the arena where the penguins play. And we have a couple, it's like small little mosaic tiles that make up Mario Lemieux's face. I haven't seen this thing, but I know it exists. And according to them, I, I wasn't able to go to see it, but this, they have a couple of those photos even in that mosaic. So that to me was just like a really interesting story that you know no one else, who else is going to be able to tell that there's no way anyone can find that story unless you happen upon it and to me i was just like you know my journalist brain never really shuts off and that to me was was interesting and it turned into what i thought was an interesting story uh that i wrote last year and it's funny it's kind of like i've talked to some stand-up comics on the show before and they talk about how their brain never turns off they could be at dinner on a date or with family or a birthday party and they're always thinking oh that would make a funny joke that could be a good part of my bit and i think journalists are kind of the same way you're on vacation but you're always looking and observant and cognizant and voila now you got one of your cool stories that you've written in, in recent memory yeah i mean that, that story ran a year ago i guess now i but I look at, I mean, I'm, I'm staring at one of the bookshelves right now in my apartment, and there were two books I read this year that were kind of about sports. One is uh, The Performance Cortex by Zach Schoenbrunn, who's another Syracuse guy, and another one is called Play On by Jeff Bercovici. And, and I know I know Zach, I've, you know, I've known Zach for a while, and, and Jeff is actually the husband of a lifelong friend of mine. And when friends of mine write books, I try to pick them up and read them because you know got to support the cause of course and yeah and so i found myself taking notes and saying okay well i wonder if i can use this to write a story or I, you know, i'm going to ask hey does anyone i know that i cover work with this and but those are that's just ways to find stories like a couple years ago now i happen to look at the ring fingers of some of the players that i was covering they had these rings that didn't look like your typical like gold or titanium or, or tungsten rings. They, they looked rubbery or silicone. Well, it turns out they were, and it's from the majority of them are from, from this company called Halo. And they their whole thing is 
is silicone or rubber rings that players wear, especially NFL players, because if they injure their finger, well, if you have a tungsten ring or a titanium ring, either you're cutting the ring or you're cutting your finger. And the rubber ring, the silicone ring, it doesn't matter. You know, and you can play with it. You can still wear it while you're playing and not feel bad about it. And a lot of players have them and swear by them. And that was a really interesting story to me and, and to a lot of other people. It did quite well on our site. That, and I still sometimes will get emails about it and still it'll sometimes pop up in my top stories of the week, even though it's almost two years old now. <laughs> Be, you know, because it, it was a really interesting story. And I talked to the founder of how he came up with it. And he came, him and his buddy came up with it very simply because they were at the gym lifting and he was wearing a gold. And he's like, oh, my God, I could like if I lift this the wrong way and I injure my finger, like I could lose my finger or the ring. And let's be honest, neither one of those things is good. Like, obviously, you probably want to lose the ring less than the finger, or uh, you want to lose the thing. You know what I mean? You want you don't want to lose the finger. Like, you can right, probably well, deal with the ring. Depends on but, who you're. Depends who you're married to. Maybe the, the ring would be the more true. important thing to keep. But that's a, everyone's relationship is different. Right. True. But uh, but I thought it was an ingenious thing. It's something that fan, there's no way fans would know about that unless you were able to take them inside because they're not in the locker room. Very rarely is someone's, you know, ring finger on, you know, getting looked at. Half the time they're wearing gloves so you don't even see it. And that was a way to kind of take readers inside something that otherwise they would have known nothing about. And it was amazing to me how many people reached out to me after being like, hey, how can I get one of those? Or, hey, actually, I'm a firefighter. How do I use that? Or, hey, this was a really cool story. I didn't know these things existed. Like the, those are the types of stories to me that I really like to tell. And I try to find them. You know, I, I have a goal in my head of, depending on the year, somewhere between 12 and 24 a year. Uh, stories where they're that original and that that different and that unique. Or they've really advanced something. I mean, I, it's, that may sound like a small number. But those stories are hard to find and hard to come by. Um, and generally, that's like I said, the hopefully I make it on like the lower end of that uh, as far as like 20 meaning 24 like I hit 24 a year and hopefully it's more but that's generally in my head how I how I operate because those stories take more time than you know, the some of the run-of-the-mill stuff that you're just gathering in the locker room every day even though sometimes those stories that you get in the locker room every day turn into massive stories as well like uh, I guess it was four years ago now I wrote about uh, former Oklahoma receiver who was on Lions for a couple of years named Brian Broyles and how he was him and his wife were living on $60,000 a year. Well, that sounds like good money. I mean, most NFL players are not living on $60,000 a year and they were doing it to bank money and to save for their future because he was a, at that point, a fringe NFL player. He ended up getting cut a couple of weeks later, but he was a second round pick. So he had made a decent amount of bank at that point before he got cut and he kept getting hurt. And that story became a massive thing to the point where actually over the summer I did a follow-up. He's now retired and he's become a minor real estate mogul in Oklahoma and a restaurateur and entrepreneur in Oklahoma. And he, he's really kind of taken on the second group of real estate with the same kind of frugality and it, it's really worked wonders for him. And, you know, those are the types of stories that, that matter because I would every once in a while, I'd have people chat to me like, hey, what is Ryan Broyles up to these days? Because they remembered that story I wrote. And I got that, honestly, from a, from doing a little bit of research and a 10-minute interview where he kind of dropped that on me. I didn't know that going in. So we're talking about learning something new 
that day, I learned a lot new that day and it led to something that was a really cool story. In all the stuff you talk about, the cool stories like that, it seems to still be, you know, information gathering and just storytelling. Are you, because I'm trying to think the best way to ask this, because so many writers now, you know, everything's about opinion and getting some way to get opinion in there. Do you feel like you're missing that or do you not care in terms of being able to write, you know, opinionated columns or to go on things like around the horn or shows like that where you can do a little bit more than just find these cool stories and unearth them. Like, do you care that you don't get to put your own personal spin on stuff or, or is that something you really don't really see as something you want to do? I mean, I think it happens. That happens from time to time. I think, you know, that when I'm evaluating a draft class or I'm evaluating uh, a preseason in, in this instance from last week or, I'm evaluating what I think they might do in the regular season. And that's, that's my opinion, but it's informed opinion. It's still from talking to people, from using the five senses, you know, to because it's not just – reporting is not just talking to people. That's a large part of it, but it's also what you see, what you hear, what you smell, you know, and sometimes what you feel depending on the story you're working on. Um, those, those senses and those things are just as important sometimes as as a person you talk to I, I can give you a couple examples of that not necessarily opinion stuff but two of the best stories i feel like i've written in my career came because of my, because of something i saw and that's where the idea came from and it was in, in tim Hardaway jr who's now on the new york knicks but he, when he was at michigan he wrote these four things on his shoes before every game and I was like, I didn't realize, like, they looked like initials and whatever, and I had no idea what they were, but they were on his shoes. And I kind of waited around and waited around and asked him, and eventually I found out that they were for the four people in his life who had died and who had meant something to him. And no one had known about this. No one had talked to him about this. And he was one of the biggest stars in college basketball at that point. And before the Final Four, we, wrote that, we got lucky that the Final Four that year we ran that story and that story only happens because I'm looking, I happen to notice something on his shoes and that's me using my, my eyes. And, and another example of that, and by the way, that story on a whole bunch of levels kind of, kind of just insane for me because one of the people that uh, was on there was a high school friend of his. I unbeknownst to me, I had reached out to the parents to talk to the parents and the parents had, of the high school kid had no idea he was doing this. And I happened to reach out to them on, it was either the, one of the anniversaries of the day he was born or the day he died. I don't remember which one. It's been, it's been five or six years since I've, six or seven years, I think, since I wrote that story. It was the 2013 Final Four. So math that, I guess five, five or six years. And I had no idea that I had reached out to them that day, but that to them ended up being this huge like gift that they had no idea about. And they had no clue when I talked to them that day and like they were getting super emotional and like it was, it was emotional to me to hear them get that emotional about it. Uh, and so like those are the moments that as a journalist, you're like, wow, I know I have something. And, and that kind of dovetails into the other thing that I got from kind of look at my eyes was this guy named Darius Morris. He played at Michigan. He had a cup of coffee in the league and then was playing overseas for a while. I think he might still be overseas. He's playing at Michigan and he had, he was in a slump. And he had written on his um, on his ankle tape, R.I.P. Dantane. And I'm like, okay, 
what's that? And no, no one else had asked him about it. So I put them aside. I, I kind of, I, I Googled Dan Tan and I had, you know, done some, a little bit of poking around and I asked him and it turns out it was this, this friend of his from high school who was, uh, he, he was basically sick his whole life. And he had become an honorary kind of person on the basketball team and all that. And he had died and it wasn't, and Darius, and he was very, very, very close to Darius. And I talked to the mom, the mom sent me the entire audio of the funeral uh, and the eulogy. And I mean, I, I like to separate emotion from the, from the storytelling. Sometimes I'm an emotional person, but I like to try to separate it to make sure I'm telling it in an objective way. I have no problem now. I mean, it's been a long time since that story read. Admitting that when I listened to the eulogy, I basically broke down crying because this kid was 19, 20 years old. But the facts of it kind of elude me a little bit, just because it's been been a long time mm-hmm. since uh, I wrote that. I mean, it was. I would say it's probably been seven, eight years since I wrote that story, uh, and I mean, just it, it was just so emotional for me. I remember getting emotional, like writing the story even like it, it took a lot for me to get through that story. And I didn't even know the guy, but from like talking to people and from learning about this kid, this, this man, this young man and, and the relationship that Darius had with him, it was, um, it, it, you, you asked me, you know, how I, how I differentiate myself or how I know I have. It's stories like that that tell me that. And, and I say that because no one else knew about it on the beat. Some of the, there were some people within the Michigan coaching staff that, that didn't necessarily know about that uh, until I had written the story because Darius just didn't share it with anybody. Like he shared it with his family and that was it. I even asked, I remember asking him after, I'm like, well, hey, why, why'd you share that with me? He's like, you asked. And, that to me, that that to me, right there, that little nugget is 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 why asking questions matters and why using all of your senses matters as a journalist because you never know what stories you're going to uncover and unfold and and find by using all of your senses and seeing what's around versus just talking to somebody and then kind of digging out, digging in and following up on those things and uh, you know even thinking I haven't done either one of those stories actually in a couple of years. Um, well, and, you're cranking out 24 plus of those amazing ones a year, like you have yourself yeah, set up yeah, to. They're, they're easy none, to lose track of. Them, not all of them are that good, um, but I mean, those were years. Those were a couple years apart now, but yeah, I mean, that, those stories were were really. I like. I guess the this is a long answer, but the way to sum it up for me with this is, I like telling human stories. The sport doesn't necessarily matter to me as far as like what sport it is. I like telling stories about people and, and that, that's always stuck with me. And it comes from, I remember reading Dick Schaff's either biography or autobiography. Uh, he, you know, he said, I'm going to butcher this line, but he basically said something along the lines of like, I collect people. Uh, and what he meant by that is he collects people as, as friends, but also as stories. And he likes telling stories about people. And that to me, at least that's how I interpreted it. And that to me really stood out. And I remember reading that book, I think it was in high school, I was in college. And that to go back way back to that first question um, is, is kind of like how I've approached this thing since. And sports just gives such a good outlet, good vehicle for telling human stories that 
uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think you, you get this amazing cross section of people and, and backgrounds in sports that you don't really get anywhere else, I think. And, and that's kind of how I ended up here for lack of a better term was it all kind of started with that thought and it's how I've really approached my entire career. For the record, because out of context, I collect people sounds a little sketchy. Right. Uh, I just looked yeah. it up. The quote was, uh, often I am asked what my favorite sport is, and I always, I say people. I collect people. So that you weren't too far off. No, I, yeah. There, yes, I really, trust me, whenever I, when I talk to a class <laughs> or whatever, and I, to say I collect, I, I realize, I, and that's why I always preface that by saying, listen, I don't remember the entire quote, but it's just, it's this, and then this is what the context is. So thank you for finding that. Yeah, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Don't worry about that. Um, all right, Mike, I want to get to some Lions stuff specifically because I'm sure a lot of people that are uh, tuning into this are coming here from you and want to hear what you have all in one tight spot about uh, the season this year. So let's go do like a Man, Lions Man, I did this because round. I thought you had the bigger following. Yeah, well, then you were sorely mistaken. Yeah, we've gone, we've gone <laughs> off the rails if that's the case. Uh, your check's in the mail. Thanks for that. Um, all right, so Lions lightning round. Uh, and I actually have a soft spot for the Lions because when I was in college, uh, freshman year, I, they were my Madden team. I used them as like my dynasty mode, playing five, ten years into the future. And uh, Joey Harrington and Charles Rogers, a lot easier to progress in video game mode skill-wise than they were in real life, it turns out. So I've always had a soft spot for the Lions. So I'm excited to hear what you're thinking about them this year. Um, you, I just saw you put up a story with a season prediction this year, wins and loss records. But if anyone hasn't seen that, question number one, Lions lightning round, what's their record going to be this year? Said seven and nine in that story. That's what I'm sticking with. I, I've been vacillating between seven and nine and nine seven pretty much the entirety of the offseason. And the trade for Khalil Mack for the Bears combined with what I've seen from the preseason and and just some questions I have about the Lions on the offensive line and in that defensive front seven pushed me from really nine and seven, eight and eight to seven and nine. So I'm going with seven and nine. I don't think it's going to be the type of season that Lions fans are are expecting. And I say that in large part because they've been nine and seven the last two years. They fired Jim Caldwell because they felt like they needed a coach to get them to the next level. That was basically what Bob Quinn said when – he let Jim Caldwell go. They hired Matt Patricia. Now, all that said, I think that they could be a good team by the end of the year. But I think that their schedule is really hard in the front. And I think that that's just going to hurt them for most of the year. I think this first month could be – month and a half could be really, really rough for them as they're both learning his scheme but also playing maybe some of the tougher teams on their schedule. And that's where I kind of put them at 7-9. and nine. So those are the two realistic ones, seven and nine, and you were maybe optimistically thinking nine and seven if things broke their way. But what's the best case scenario and the worst case scenario? If everything breaks right, where do they finish? If everything goes completely wrong, how far do they bottom out? Oh, their absolute best case scenario is, I would think, 11 and five or 12 and four, and probably at that point winning the division. I, I, I would be hesitant to go too much further than that just because of the talent level of some of the other teams in the NFC and in the NFC North. But I think that that's possible if everything breaks right, if Ezekiel Ansa stays completely healthy and we're able to generate a pass rush through him, if Darius Slay can match his all-pro season from last year, if Matthew Stafford continues to be extremely productive offensively and gets you know, thousand-yard seasons again from Marvin Jones and Golden Tate, and they add a run game. That offense could be one of the best offenses in the league. So, to me, that would be the best-case scenario: is at eleven and five, twelve and four, 
you win the division for the first time in 25 years and you get a home playoff game. And then I'd be hesitant to pick anything beyond that just because it would be such an uncharted territory for anybody other than the coaching staff, frankly, uh, within the organization. So worst case scenario, I mean, worst case scenario is like a five and 11 or four and 12. The pass rush that we've seen in the preseason translates into the regular season and doesn't really exist. Ezekiel Ansah gets hurt. The offense regresses. The line's still bad. Matthew Stafford gets dinged up and, and isn't healthy. Uh, and we've seen the past couple of years what happens when Matthew Stafford isn't healthy. The, the offense just doesn't really flow at all. And, and Matt Castle, who's their backup quarterback, hasn't looked great in the preseason. He has the experience. But you really don't want to have to rely on Matt Castle for much more than maybe getting you out of a game if Stafford would get hurt. So to me, there are, there are definite ways that like a 4-12 and or 5-11 and season can happen, even if Matthew Stafford stays healthy. And that's, you know, if neither one of the lines work particularly well, if there's still no run game, then I think some of the breaks that they've gotten the last two years with Caldwell with the late game comebacks eventually – you know, the law of averages say that they won't get those, and that's how that's how things can unravel really quick. He has yet to coach a regular season game, but what grade would you give Matt Patricia so far? I want to cop out and say incomplete. Don't cut. Don't cop out. There's no cop outs on the Mike Janela show. Uh, I, I, I put him at a B minus C plus. I just you haven't seen much yet. I, I think what he's trying to do makes sense. And I think how he's trying to do it for the most part makes sense. But without having him coach a regular season game, without seeing how he's scheming, it's tough to really say The preseason was hard on players. They, they ran a lot more than they ever did under Jim Caldwell. The practices seemed longer and more intense. They definitely felt like they had more hitting. Now it will remain to be seen whether that translates into a better regular season or a more well-conditioned team or a team that's just really way too beat up for the beginning of September and the start of the regular season. So I, I'm hesitant to give a grade at all. And I would kind of vacillate in that, you know, B minus C plus area because that's generally average. And uh, I think you can't really go much one way or the other yet because he hasn't coached the game yet. And as every coach likes to say, everybody loves me until I'm, you know, when I'm 0-0. So I think that that's kind of where it stands. And that's a long rambling answer for me basically giving no answer. (laughs) That's that's the longest cop-out we've ever had on the show, let me tell you. Um, All right, well, Mike, we've already talked for a long time. I can't believe how much time has flown. So i still got a couple segments I want to get to at the end, including one. I'm going to move on to it now. I call it Turn the Tables. I give everyone a chance to turn the tables and ask me a question if they want because I'm very democratic here on the show. You don't have to take it, but if you'd like to, uh, now's your chance to ask me anything you want. So fire away if you're interested. Ooh, that's that's really good. I've never had this happen on a podcast before. I'm trying. <laughs> this is what uh, you get here on, on my show. Nothing but unique content. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Um, all right, I'm going to go. To, what's the weirdest question you've ever asked somebody? That I've ever asked somebody? Oh, I mean, yeah. where to begin? Um, probably, and this, this, I mean, this may not be the weirdest in terms of what the question was, but in terms of the result that we got, uh, I always, this is like on all my reels and my hosting tapes and all that kind of stuff. When I had Snoop Dogg come on my talk show when I was working for the Padres a couple years ago, my co-host that day was 
Uh, Bill Center, who's, I don't even know how old he is, in his 70s, like Vietnam War vet, you know, whitest guy you could think of. And I asked Snoop to teach Bill some new hip-hop slang, like, you know, get him, get his diction updated. And he taught him it was something, uh, break bread or fake dead. And Bill said it on camera. He said it a couple times, and Snoop loved it, like, went crazy for it. And it was just the weirdest, odd couple, like, dichotomy that I've ever been a part of, so... I never thought I'd be asking Snoop to teach, you know, my septuagenarian co-host uh, street slang, but there we were. So that's what comes to mind I, right away. I'm sure there's been other ones, but that, that's what I you ha- You have to send me that because that sounds like I – that could be a thing that I would just pull up and laugh for days. Yeah, I'll, the link will be coming your way right after we're done recording. Um, Excellent. And now the last segment that I do with everyone, because now it's back on me, because you only get one question to ask, uh, the fun five. It's five quick, fun questions designed for you and you alone. So we're going to just rattle through these, Mike. Uh, question okay. number one, I'm going to include Michigan football here. What's the next Detroit team to win a title? Does Michigan State fit in there too? No. Okay. Wow. Um, I'm going to go with Michigan basketball. Michigan basketball. Yeah, John Beeline's been close a couple times, gotten the championship game twice. I think he's one of the top five coaches in college basketball. I think he's still criminally underrated. Uh, And I covered him for four years. Uh, He's a fantastic person, but I think that he'll get a title. And I think that he's much closer than any other sport right now in Detroit. Um, by far. I think he's, he's by far the closest. Hail. Question number two. Uh, who's the best sports writer in the game right now? Who do you like reading the most? I mean, the easy answer is Wright Thompson. I, does he? Okay, but I'm going to caveat that. Does Eli count? So, all right, we went to college with Eli Saslow. If Eli Saslow counts, he wrote, writes mostly national stuff for the Washington Post, then my answer is Eli Saslow, and that's obviously a Syracuse thing versus a Missouri thing. Uh, but whatever Eli Saslow writes, I will read. Uh, so I would go if I, I'm going to definitely cop out here and say either Eli Saslow, Wright Thompson, Seth Withersham, Withersham, and then obviously two of my closest friends, Greg Bishop or Jeff Passan. And yeah, I realize I gave you five, but I can't just pick one. There's just too many. Hey, I was just waiting for you to slip yourself into your own top five, and you didn't do that. So no, very I, honorable. I, I was going to say <laughs> I. I do not – I very – I will skim stories I write after just to make sure everything is factually correct. I will very rarely go back and read stories I've written for at least a year. There are exceptions wow. to that, but very rarely will I because it's just – like I've heard actors say this all the time, and this I realize is not a quick thing, but if your actors say that all the time, they never watch what they've done, uh, maybe other than live right when it's gone on TV. I listen mm-hmm. to the West Wing Weekly podcast a lot, and – you hear a lot of those actors saying, I never saw this episode. And you're like, wait, what? And it's because they just can't watch themselves. I'm the same way. I get so critical and so angry. Not angry, but annoyed with myself. If I see something in there, I could have phrased that better. That it's a paranoia thing. And I just choose not to do that. I skim it. We'll read it over once just to make sure everything was factually correct edits. And there was no typos or anything like that. But other than that, yeah, I generally will not read what I am for at least a year as far as like trying to enjoy it as a reader. Fun nugget. Wow. How about that? Question number three, Paul Pasqualoni, who was the Syracuse head football coach when you were there at school, when I was there at school, and now on the Detroit Lions staff. How soon before you and Paul got to talking about Cuse? The Lions staff is chock full of of people with Syracuse connections, from Pasqualoni to Matt Patricia to 
really almost everybody on their staff uh, has some sort of Syracuse connection. It's kind of crazy. I think that the number of people with Syracuse connections outnumbers the people without them on their coaching staff. We are everywhere. Uh, question four, if you were commished for a day in the NFL, what's the first rule change you would make? Ooh. Uh, I mean, they've, they've kind of done it already, but clarify what a catch is. Because that's something that's, that's plagued the game for so many years. Uh, specifically in Detroit, I mean, the rule was called the Calvin Johnson rule. Right. So I, I would clarify what a catch I would, I would make definitive, obvious terms of what a catch is. But honestly, I think it's something that the NFL has really done already. Question five, last one of the fun five. Whether it's something you find yourself doing as a bad habit or something you're trying to get better at or something you see other writers do, what is your biggest sports writing pet peeve? I can give you mine like if, if you need some oh, inspiration. Uh, sure. What's yours? We'll go. We'll start. I, I have multiple in my head. I'm just trying to pick one. <laughs> what, what's yours? All right. If you want to run through a quick top three, go for it. So mine, and I used to do this all the time when I was a younger writer, and I feel like it was a cool device back in the day, but now it's been so beaten to death. It's when you do a story and then you end the last graph with something like, now, if you'll excuse me, I have to, and you do like a callback to something you wrote earlier in the story. And I used to think that was such a clever way to wrap up a story all the time. And when I see people still do that, it just screams, you know, high school newspaper uh, to me. So when uh, professionals do that, I, it gets me a little bit angry. So that's my big, see, that's my big pet peeve. That's interesting because I, I would, I actually, it, but I think it depends on how it's crafted. Because you, you can call back to the top, of, to the beginning of a story. You can call back to something earlier in the story. In, in some ways, it's good to do that. Now. If you do it by like blatantly pointing it out and saying, "Hey, remember this," then yeah, that's not good. But if you if it comes organically and naturally, oh and yeah, I'm not against callbacks in general. It's basically that specific phrase, like "If you'll excuse me," or "Now I have to," or I don't you know, know if I I don't know if I've ever seen anyone do that. Oh, I mean, it's and out I there. say that I'm, I say that realizing that there's a possibility thousands of and the thousands upon thousands of stories that I've written in my career that I've done that. I just don't remember it. But no, my, now that I've mentioned it, I bet you'll, you'll notice it in more stuff you read. But I'm, you got a couple, I, I, so lay it on me. I, yeah, I'm going to try not to. Um, but <laughs> I, mine, mine is, mine, a couple of mine are obvious. When you're in a press conference, ask a question. Don't say talk about, or don't make mm -hmm. a declarative statement. Mm -hmm. and then, because you're, what you're doing is you're commanding the... You're commanding the person that you were talking to, and it's supposed to be a conversation, even in a press conference. It's supposed to be a conversation or try to be. But if you say talk about or you just make a declarative statement, like there are question words for a reason and, and use them. And, and I say that to journalism classes all the time. Like the best question you can ask is why. And, you know, I mean, you, going back to that annoying kid thing that we talked about earlier, like why? Why? Person gives us or why? Why person? You know, that used to anger people so much and it was like a game that people, like kids would play and like but the best question to ask is why because it gets you a better answer so to me talk about is probably the um the single biggest pet peeve that i have if i had if i had to pick one that like my ears perk up when i hear it i'm like oh because i've had coaches and players both often say when you say that all you're doing is you're, it feels like you're commanding me to speak. I'm going to go on autopilot and I'm not going to give you a good answer.
I'm going to yes, give you a transactional, not conversational. Right, exactly. And you get the best stuff when you're having a conversation with somebody. And uh, so to me, um, just talk about is because that's it's lazy. Like you can instead of saying talk about, it, say, well, why did this happen? Or, or what caused this? Or how did this happen? Or what makes this player X? Like, there you go. There's five examples that are essentially getting you the same thing that you want, but in a politer and also possibly a way that's going to get you more. I love it. Well, uh, Mike, I think we're done here. So how about you talk about all the things you want to plug and where people can find you, and uh, we'll take it home from there. Well, I'm just going to keep it 100% right here. Uh, no, uh, yeah, you can. I know I mentioned it at the top. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Rothstein, on Instagram at Mike Rothstein, where you'll mostly see pictures of books I read, where we can talk all about that. I love reading books. I try to get to 50 a year, haven't yet, uh, and pictures of my various travels. And on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist, that's M-I-K-E-R-O-T-H-S-T-E-I-N or M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-O-T-H-S-T-E-I-N. And I am not on Snapchat. So those are all of my uh, plugs. And obviously, go read me, uh, please, at ESPN.com. Yeah, check it out. And guys, head to uh, MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of the show. I'm at Mike Janella on all social media. I'm also not on Snapchat because I think Mike and I are just too old for that shit at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll also find uh, information on the great outro music you're hearing right now by the artist Graves. Make sure to check his work out too. Mike, thanks so much, man. Good luck this season. Enjoy the travels. I'm uh, looking forward to your writing and, and seeing how this thing plays out for you up there in Michigan. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, no problem, man. Love to come back again. Beautiful. And thanks to you guys for listening. I'll do even better next time. See ya.